One afternoon, Brother Tom finished teaching and began his walk toward the subway to return home to the monastery. But before he could make his descent underground, he was stopped by an international aid organization who was taking names and donations for charity. As was his custom, Brother Tom was generous with his time and greeted the solicitors as Christ himself. He patiently answered their questions and filled out their forms, but when it came time to give his credit card information, he told them he had no such thing. Not only did he not have a credit card, but he had actually never had a bank account. He was 64 and had been a monk since he turned 21, meaning he'd never had occasion to open a bank account. All he earned and everything he ever had was a part of the communal wealth of his society. The young man with whom he was speaking was dumbstruck, so much so that he summoned his colleague, not so much for help, but to join him in staring in stupor. (laughs) Clearly, to live in this particular way was totally foreign to them. To put it mildly, Brother Tom and his fellow monks are the exception, not the rule. They have entrusted absolutely everything they have to the community and in return, trust that their individual needs will be met. Now, this is a very specific type of investment policy and perhaps not what you think about when I use that phrase. But I'm curious about what we might discover about ourselves and one another when we examine what I'm going to call non-traditional types of investment policies. Today's lessons from Genesis and Matthew provide a great deal of guidance as to the investment strategies that God uses. The narrative from Genesis may be familiar to you, the first of two creation stories. There's much over which we can marvel in this particular account of the creation of the world. It's a narrative of understanding of the beginning of God's relationship with humanity. And the first extraordinary thing is that it reveals a great deal about the DNA of God. God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Did you catch the plural reference? Our image, our likeness. The Trinity was there from the very beginning. The Son and the Holy Spirit were not a reaction to the sinfulness of humanity, a correction of sorts when God's plan went sideways. Rather, the wholeness that comes from the relationship between the three parts of the Trinity is essential to the very essence of God from the beginning. The other extraordinary thing we learn in this account is about God's investment strategy. On the very same day that God created humankind, God also bestowed a tremendous level, some might say foolish level, of trust on us. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Now think about this for a minute. I can't imagine that God employed us because God was failing to get things done. The Trinitarian God is not one who trusts solely in the self, as is evidenced by the very nature of the three in one and one in three. The essence of grace that we come to know from God is that God trusts us too. At the heart of both of these realities, 
the Trinitarian nature of God and God's investment in us is one thing. Relationship. It would seem that from the very beginning, God is all about relationship. Fast forward to the very last words of Matthew's gospel, which were read this morning, and we are reminded of the way in which Jesus entrusted the disciples with his mission, much like God trusted humanity from the very first days of creation. This is followed by Jesus' final declaration about their place with him for eternity. There's a very simple consistency to God's engagement with humanity. From the perspective of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it always has been and always will be about relationship. Creation, covenant, incarnation, resurrection, relationship, relationship, relationship. This is important for several reasons, but the most obvious of which is that humanity struggles with relationship. At the heart of that struggle is a profound distrust of relationships, which can come from any number of life experiences. It could be a failure to bond with a parental figure in the essential first three years of life that leads to trust issues. It could be a betrayal from a childhood acquaintance on the playground that leads to a lasting suspicion of friendships. It could be a divorce of your parents that leaves you suspicious of all long-term commitments. It could be adultery from a partner that leaves you unable to consider another intimate relationship. It could be the continual disappointment you experience from the addict in your life. There are so many ways in which relationships wound and permanently form who we are willing to become. We distrust relationships because there is immense potential to be so badly let down. And yet, the alternative paints an even more grim picture. The alternative to taking a risk and being in relationship is that we trust only ourselves. And the bleak reality of that alternative is that we let ourselves down at least as much as we are let down by others. It seems to me that the very essence of God provides the strongest possible reasons as to why we ought to risk entering into relationship. God's very DNA and God's investment strategy rely upon relationship, the very thing we struggle with most in every stage of life. From the beginning, God invites us to trust that the thing we struggle with the most has been dealt with. Now, there's been much ink shed trying to capture God's Trinitarian nature. What does it mean that there's a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit and they're co-eternal and consubstantial and all of these fancy words? But it seems to me that the doctrine of the Trinity is profoundly practical. God is, at heart, the essence of relationship. God set the whole plan of creation in motion to be with us in relationship which means we can rest assured that God's commitment will last for all of eternity. This frees us up to take tremendous risks, both in our investment strategies as well as our relationship profile. Because we have experienced the grace of God in relationship, we know what more is possible. Perhaps there is no better reminder of these realities than that which we find in the cleansing waters of baptism. 
Yesterday, a group of parishioners from St. Michael's and Lomax went on pilgrimage to Cambridge, Maryland, and visited some of the sites that were significant in the life of Harriet Tubman and the underground and sites of the Underground Railroad. It had not occurred to me the pivotal role that water played in the success of those who used the Underground Railroad. Their ultimate experience of freedom depended on the power of the waters to hide their scent from the dogs who were constantly on their trail. The water in these streams and byways had to be flowing, otherwise it would magnify the scent of those who crossed its banks. Of course, the cleansing power of water was the final threshold before freedom. As we watched the water flowing down the stream and sang wade in the water, I imagine that for each who crossed, those waters provided a baptism of sorts. Many spent years or a lifetime searching for freedom from slavery, which is a man-made horror. But God's desire for them to be able to live into their wholeness had always been there. The most distorted of relationships had been severed and they were restored to the most important relationship of all with God and themselves. Hazel, Teddy, and Annie are our symbols of hope this morning. In the freshness of their innocence, they remind us that we baptize not because anything in them needs to be fixed or restored. Rather, we baptize so that we might be reminded of the ways in which relationship is at the heart of everything that matters most. We solidify the relationship God has had with them from the very beginning and take our place alongside their parents and godparents in hopes that together we might be a reflection of the God who loves them perfectly and unconditionally. We baptize as a way of celebrating that in this sacrament, we experience the very heart of God, bound together in relationship forever. Amen.